Great verse back in the Old Testament, Zechariah 4.6, says it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not your might nor mine. It's not your power nor mine, but it's His Spirit. What God gets done, He does by His power through His Spirit. And so if we feel like we don't have anything going for us, we don't. And, and so it's encouraging to us to see these nobodies in the Bible and realize God used them. We're going to look at three more today. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, we've been in a series on God's nobodies. What's a nobody? Well, it's a, uh, a lackey. It's a uh, minion. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that. We have folks by those names here. But uh, it's somebody who would be considered unimportant. Uh, we might say a flunky or a, or a, a footman or, or a servant or a... Uh, a slave or a, 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 a coolie, an underling. There's just a lot of different names for what we would consider nobodies. Well, we bring this into the spiritual arena, and of course it pertains now to us at this time in history. I don't think we have any big shots here. I think we're a church of nobodies. And it's encouraging to us to know that God can use people like us at this time in history like he did back in Bible times. And we've been looking at some of those folks. This has been our text and our springboard as we've talked about God being able to use us as His nobodies, obscure saints. Now look here in 1 Corinthians 1, if you would, beginning in verse 26. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We're going to talk about some more nobodies today. Let's pray first, shall we? Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless now this time. Help us to look at these characters from the Bible. Help us to relate and empathize with them. And Father, I just pray now that you would help us to be encouraged as a result to attempt great things for thee. We pray and ask it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There's a, a song that we sing in our songbook entitled, When We All Get to Heaven. You ever think of that day? What a humbling thing that will be to enter heaven. And I don't know about you, but there are times I, I'm so sobered by that and humbled by that, I, I feel like I'll just crawl into heaven, you know, hopefully unnoticed, because what an honor it will be to get to heaven. And what an honor it will be to get to meet some people that we have learned about in the Bible. Some of these, these nobodies, like Chloe of, of Corinth. 
and that preacher from Colossae, Archippus, and, and Hermas, and Crispus, and, and other folks like that, you barely see them in the Bible, and, and you, you certainly don't know who they are. But I think they're summed up in our text here, which talks about how not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise men after the flesh are called. And the word called there means to Christ or to salvation. I, I don't believe that, you know, God sends some to hell and, and calls the rest to heaven. But I believe they just don't, they don't get saved for the most part. Their pride gets in the way. Their intellect gets in the way. Their money gets in the way. There are a number of things. And it's normally the little shots who respond to the gospel, not the big shots. It says that God, in verse 27, hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And so God uses the little shots. It says in verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why he does that. So he gets the glory. So that there will be nobody walking around heaven patting themselves on the back about what they did. No, no. All the glory goes to the Lord. You say, but... Pastor, I'm ill-equipped to serve God. Yeah, but that's covered here in this passage here. Verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You might feel you lack wisdom, but, but you get it through Christ. You might feel that you lack righteousness and sanctification and these other things, but you're complete in him. It comes with a package. It's all available to us. We don't have to go without the equipment. And the, the bottom line is, it's not us doing it anyway. Great verse back in the Old Testament, Zechariah 4.6, says, It's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not your might nor mine. It's not your power nor mine, but it's His Spirit. What God gets done, He does by His power through His Spirit. And so, you might feel inadequate, that's all right. It's kind of a universal human experience for you and I to feel like we're lacking. You know, I've got a secret here. We, we have college students here, and I'll, I'll, I dare say they wonder what they're getting into and how they'll be able to serve the Lord and, and get the job done. But come up close, guys. I'll, oh, you already are. Uh, let me tell you something here. The teachers feel just like you. They, they feel inadequate. They feel ill-equipped. They feel like they're lacking. We, we really all do, and, and pity the fool in the, in the Christian world who doesn't. God doesn't use anyone like that. And so if we feel like we don't have anything going for us, we don't. But the apostles didn't have anything going for them, and, and God used them mightily. They were fishermen, tax collectors, and, and guys like that. They were humble, but that's who God uses. The Lord himself was, was a carpenter and, and a poor man, but we know what uh, he did. And, and so it's encouraging to us to see these nobodies in the Bible and realize God used them. We're going to look at three more today. In fact, it's, uh, it's ladies' night, if you'd excuse that expression. We're going to look at three women in the Bible, nobodies, that God used in a great way. And the first one, I call it the thoughtful memorial. As I look at this gal, she's back in Luke 7, if you'd turn there. In fact, she's in Matthew, she's in Mark, and she's in John as well. There are some stories, and you find them in one of the four Gospels. Some you find in a couple. Some even in three. There's not many scenarios in the Bible that are described in all four Gospels, but this is one. Apparently, what this gal did was amazing. In Luke chapter 7, we pick up the story of this lady in verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him, that is Christ, that he would eat with him. 
And he went unto the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he answered unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came, came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I want you to come back with me to about 30 A.D., You'll find this dark-haired woman walking the street happily along, perhaps going from the big city of Jerusalem several miles away to the little city of Bethany. She has something in her hands that's very, very precious. In fact, it cost her a whole year's wages. Now, back in the old days, that money wasn't so hard to come by. You see, she was a member of the oldest profession in the world. She was a prostitute. And every night she gave herself over to men of the city, men who by day scorned her and pointed at her as she walked by, but at night they paid her. She didn't want anything to do with their religion. Good grief, what hypocrisy. But somebody had crossed her path who had taught her the truth, cared about her, and led her to a saving knowledge of himself. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And now she had spent a great deal of money on a precious alabaster box of, of ointment. And she's on her way to a feast that I doubt she was invited to because of her reputation. But God had laid something on her heart to do. And she was going to do it. She was going to be ridiculed for it. She was going to be scorned for it. But she was going to do it because God had told her to do it. Now let's collect, connect some dots here, beginning with a fellow by the name of Simon. He's a Pharisee. Verse 36 tells us that. And one of the Pharisees desired him, Christ said he would eat with him. And he went unto the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So what's a Pharisee? <laughs> well, for the most part, they were normally lost. They were steeped in self-righteousness. They were blinded by their hypocrisy. Oh, they knew their Bibles, but, you know, you can know the Bible and still be lost. And those guys, well, that was the crowd who was lost. We know his name because Jesus gave us his name. 
In verse number 40, Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. So we know his name is Simon. Now this is odd. He's a Pharisee. His name is Simon. But apparently at one time he had been a leper. Because we read in Matthew 26.6, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. I don't know, but for sure, maybe he was a leper that Christ had healed earlier on in his ministry. Mark 1.40 says, There came a leper unto him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And so maybe... This is payback time. Now, let me really speculate here. In John 13, 26, Jesus answered, It is, or he it is, to whom I give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Is this the father of, of Judas Iscariot? Is this uh, Judas and his father, who was a Pharisee, holding a banquet for Christ? We don't know that. But maybe it was payback time because maybe Christ had healed this man of his leprosy, but he falls short. He's, he's pious. He's a Pharisee. And in verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, that is, the woman anoint the feet, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So he's a typical Pharisee, isn't he? What's a Pharisee? Well, a Pharisee is self-righteous. A Pharisee is holier than thou. Touch me not. I am holier than thou. That kind of thing. And I don't think there is many things pewier than a Pharisee. I mean, how sickening to think you're better than somebody else. Pharisaicalism sadly finds its way into churches like this. Pharisaicalism can find its way into marriages like yours. It can be fatal if you're married to a Pharisee. It can be fatal if if a parent is a Pharisee trying to raise children. There are few things more destructive than that, than that holier-than-thou attitude. I'd rather work with a hopeless drunk, I really would, than a Pharisee. Because with a Pharisee, bottom line is, they need to repent just like the hopeless drunk. If you have any twinges of self-righteousness in you, please squeeze it out. We don't need it in this church. It's the last thing we want in Fargo Baptist Church. It's such a blinding thing. Simon's blinded by his self-righteousness. Notice in verse number 44, it says, And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. For this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet." My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Here's Christ using a former prostitute to rebuke a Pharisee. I mean, a a former leper who of all people should have been humble. And was Judas the son of this Simon? I don't know, but if that's the case, the apple sure doesn't fall very far from the tree. Because we find in another account, John 12, 4, Then saith Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Now, back to this thoughtful memorial. 
The woman's name is Mary. We know Mary, typical of Mary. A former, a former floozy, that much we don't see throughout the Bible. But it's no wonder this Mary is at the feet of Jesus. That's where you find her normally. In Luke 10, 39, it says, And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. Typical. And so we find out Mary's at the feet of Christ once again, this time with the ointment. But what can we learn about this this nobody in her thoughtful memorial? First of all, she did what she could. And I like that song by the marshal. She hath done what she could. Anybody can do what they can. You can be a total nobody and say, well, I, I can't do all this other stuff, but I can do this. All right, do it then. Because you'll be rewarded according to the guy who has the big talent over here. I think that's taught clearly in the gospel in several places. But one place is uh, Matthew 25, where the, uh, the king goes on a far journey. It's a picture of Christ going back to heaven. And he leaves uh, with one servant five talents and another one two talents and another one talent. The guy with five doubles his and makes ten. The guy with two doubles his and makes four. And we find out that the commendation from the Lord upon his return is identical. He he doesn't say the guy with ten, well, you you made ten. This this loser over here only made four. No, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He said, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You've been faithful a little. Now you're going to be given more. And so we find out they're, they're rewarded based upon the talent, the unique ability they were given. So she did what she could. Anybody, any, nobody can do that. Secondly, she was led of the Spirit in what she did. That's more than you can say about the apostles. The apostles were rebuking her for this. The apostles were arguing about who would be the greatest. That shows you how off base they were. I mean, the greatest Christians alive at that time. And she shows them up here. They were sidetracked by their pride. They were blinded by their pride. She was led of the Spirit. God laid this on her heart and nobody else's heart. Thirdly, what we can learn from her is that she followed through. You know, it would have been easy for her to have this idea and then it just dies on the drawing board, kind of like us so often. But she was proactive. She had this idea. God had given her something. It was on her heart. Couldn't do much, but she could do this. And she followed through. Bless her heart. Fourthly, she had foresight. She was thinking ahead. You know, the body of Christ would be put in the tomb so hastily it'd never have the chance to be embalmed. And so Jesus said, she did this aforetime for my burial. She's she's actually anointed me now. She caught what no one else caught. I like that. I want to be that kind of a Christian. I want to catch what what maybe others might miss. I want to uh, have the radar out and and, and be on guard. And and she was led of the Lord. She caught what nobody else caught. And she did what she could, and she thought ahead. Fifthly, she was generous. This this apothecary or or ointment, uh, I mean, it was a year's salary, and she was no longer a prostitute. This was money now hard for her to come by. But she was generous. She wasn't a, a skinflint. Number six, she had her priorities straight. Martha, <laughs> Martha, you know Martha. Martha's like, like sadly many Christians, if not most Christians, who are, are in this rut and it's, it's all duty and it's all standards and all do's and don'ts. And I'm not against any of that, but you can tell folks who don't have the heart in it anymore. They just do it. It's kind of mechanically done and robotically done. But, but she had heart. She had her priorities straight. Number seven, 
She didn't get offended when she was rebuked. She could have. She could have had her feelings hurt and, and, and gone out boo-hooing. I've seen Christians do that. She didn't get bitter. She didn't quit when she got attacked. Too many Christians quitting when they get attacked. You know, we need to make up our mind. If the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west, we're going to finish, okay? We're going to be dependable. We're going to see this thing through. And we're not going to give the, the Pharisees of this world or the carnal of this world the pleasure of knocking us out of God's race. She didn't. I mean, even the, the apostles were getting on her case. She just took it in stride. She kept on going. And finally, she left behind a memorial, a legacy. You know, you hear a lot of presidents and former presidents talking about the legacy they want to leave behind. Honestly, in a matter of years, none of it's going to matter. And, and really, the average legacy is very, very shallow. But here's one that's recorded in all four Gospels. Christ repeats it. That which she hath done, it's going to be a memorial for her. It's mentioned over in Matthew 26, 13. Verily, he says, I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Isn't it amazing that here in the 21st century, we're still preaching this, what Christ said was true. So we see this thoughtful memorial. But secondly, we see this tender mother, this tender mother. She is an absolute nobody. She's found in Romans 16. She's such a nobody that her name's not even mentioned here. In, in Romans 16, Paul the Apostle is signing off on what I believe to be almost, I hate to say this, the, the Magna Carta of the Bible, the book of Romans. It was written from, from Corinth, and we find out as he's signing off here, he's rattling off a bunch of people. There are folks in Rome that, that he knows, say hey to this one and hi to that one, and, and you, you, you can read all these names, there are really a lot of nobodies, but one of them such a nobody, she's not even mentioned. In Romans 16 and verse number 11, it says, Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are, of the, are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, her name's not given. She's the mother of Rufus. But is she also the mother of Paul? Would that make Rufus and Paul brothers? Well, I don't think Paul's speaking literally here. I think he's speaking figuratively. I don't think Rufus is his brother. What he's saying here is, salute Rufus, his mother, and mine, with tongue-in-cheek, she's like a mother to me. Or she had been a mother to me. You know, it's one thing to have a, a, a wonderful mother, and I had a wonderful mother. Just drove by her grave a uh, day before yesterday. And, uh, and to have all those wonderful memories and, and, and thoughts and the recollections of a, a great childhood growing up. But maybe there was a, a gal in your past that was like a mother to you. I hear that quite often. Oh, she's like a mother to me. You know, maybe her house was that house on the block where all the kids went and they hung out and, and she was sweet and she was nice and she was thoughtful and, and you could go there and you felt welcome and you felt loved and you felt that tenderness. You know, there are those in our lives that uh, touch our lives that way. In fact, we want to be that way as God's people now. 
We have a bus ministry here, and oftentimes I think of uh, some of the young people who are at our bus. And, and I hope this church, I hope Fargo Baptist Church is like a, a refuge to them. I, I hope the bus workers are like big brothers and sisters or mom and dad. And I hope that when those kids come here, they feel loved and, and they feel like uh, uh, they can come from a less than perfect environment. But here's a place where, where they feel loved. We, we have a Bible college here with, with uh, gals from around the country. And, and I've challenged our people to, especially you, you ladies here, if you're a mom, maybe try and adopt one of those gals or, or take a special interest in them or, or take them under your wing. The mother of Rufus is unnamed. We don't know her name. We really don't know much about Rufus. May I speculate a little bit more? Remember the story when Jesus Christ was going to Calvary? And he was so weakened by uh, the beating he'd already taken and the loss of blood. They need some help getting the cross up the hill. And we read in Mark chapter 15 and in verse number 21, And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. You know, Alexander and Rufus are mentioned here in, in one of the latter Gospels as, as guys that it, it's assumed you know who they are. Now that, that intrigues me. To where, okay, oh, Rufus, you don't have to tell which one, the son of this, you know, whatever. But, but that Rufus, okay, maybe this is the same Rufus. And when Paul wrote Romans 16, verse 13, notice again, he said, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother in mine. What did he mean by chosen the Lord? Well, maybe that incident there with, with his father, if it's his father, carrying that cross for the Lord so impacted his life, it, he got saved. Chosen in the Lord might mean that. Now, nearly 30 years had passed in Romans 16 since the conversion of, of Paul. So nearly three decades have gone by. And uh, Paul is, I think at this point, on his way back to uh, Jerusalem, wrapping up his missionary journeys, uh, wanting to be in, in town for, the, for the, the Feast of Pentecost. And maybe he's thinking about his old friends, maybe thinking about the early days of his conversion. I often do. And if Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is, is um, it's, uh, tri- it's Tripoli today. It's in northern Africa, of all things. But if, if this is the Simon, if this is the Rufus, then this would be the wife. Now, how do you connect all this, or how could this maybe play out? Look back in Acts chapter 13. Let me show you here some speculation. And again, we'll find this out when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, and uh, we'll be able to ask these questions. In Acts 13, here's a verse that I had to memorize back in Bible college because, well, it had the word church in it. It was in our New Testament church class. So imagine with me memorizing verse 1. It says, now there, were there, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Notice it mentions Simeon or Simon that was called Niger, which means black man actually in, in the Greek. The next guy, it says, in Lucius of Cyrene, perhaps as if they were compadres. Maybe they were partners. Could this be the same Simon of Cyrene mentioned here? Now look in Acts chapter 11. Just back a page or two. In Acts 11, beginning in verse number 19, it says, Now there were, or I'm sorry, and now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen 
traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Make note of that. Preaching the word to none but unto the Jews also. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You say, what's this have to do with Simon? Well, let me connect the dots for you here. Saul had just gotten saved two chapters earlier. He becomes Paul the Apostle. The heat is on. They get him out of town. They send him back to Tarsus. Barnabas was a preacher in Antioch. He found that there was such a great revival taking place that he got, uh, uh, he got the idea to go to Tarsus, bring Saul back, and use him there in Antioch. So now you've got Paul in Antioch. Well, who else was in Antioch? Well, it mentions in verse 20 again, some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So the persecution of Stephen had scattered to the disciples and some men of Cyrene had come to Antioch. Well, Paul now is in Antioch. So is this where Paul met Rufus and Simon, if that was his dad, and his wife, who is unnamed? Is that the mother of Rufus? And is this the time when Paul is kind of nurtured by the surrogate mother, if you will, because Maybe his own folks have abandoned him. Or maybe he had been disowned. And so it's really a, a time in his life when he needed an adopted mother. Now, we, we read of women like Priscilla and, uh, and, and we read of, of women like Lydia and, and their name, but here's a nameless woman in the Bible. And whoever she is, she takes in a young Paul. She invests herself in him, pours herself into him with motherly love and is like a mother to him. You know, in the, in the Christian economy, uh, we have these adopted moms. In fact, I find a, a verse back in the Old Testament very interesting. It mentions Deborah, a mother in Israel. She's like a mother to many. And in the Christian realm, we, we, we're family. In fact, we find verses like this. In Mark 3.35, Jesus said, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother we use those terms around here, brother and sister in Christ and so on. John referred to those uh, that he called my little children, kind of like my family. In 1 Timothy 5.2, it says, Treat the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. And it's talking about a church environment. Now, and here's my point. Ma'am, if you're a lady in this church, opportunities abound for you to be motherly. God has given you that. Don't sell yourself short. Don't lament your opportunities. Don't think you're uh, just a nobody. Because here's a gal, unnamed, mother of Rufus, who invests herself in the life of, of young Saul of Tarsus, probably having no idea how far he would go, the great exploits he would do, and how much fruit that would abound to her account as a result of what she did there. 
Just a nobody. Just a nobody. Just, just a mother. You know, Spurgeon said, Oh, mother, had you not been the woman you were, I would have never been the man I am. He, he attributed everything he was to his mother. G. Campbell Morgan had four sons who were all great preachers like himself. And one day, somebody walked in the room, and, and G. Campbell Morgan was there with his four boys, and, and they were kind of chit-chatting a little bit, and, and the visitor was chiding him a little bit, and he said, well, when it comes to the, the Morgan family here, who's the greatest preacher of y'all? And G. Campbell Morgan spoke up, and he said, Mother, <laughs> Mother, with her life, with her life, with her example, with her, her Christian service 24-7. And that's really motherhood. And the mother of Rufus apparently brought a little bit of heaven into the, the life of young Saul of Tarsus and made such a difference. And, and, and her home was like a, a, a refuge for Paul. And there she was, compassionate to this, this scared young disciple who really went on to do great things. But she made her son's friend feel welcome. And she's commemorated for that in the Bible because of her big heart. Uh, you know, it, 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 it do us all good, man or woman, to get enlarged hearts, to look for opportunities, to, 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 to show tenderness, to reach out to somebody like this and make a difference in their life. It doesn't matter if they amount to something like Paul did or, or they're just, they go on, they don't do a whole lot for God. God could really use us in that capacity. We see the thoughtful memorial. We see the tender mother. Finally, we see what I call the tenacious mendicant. Now, tenacious means uh, someone determined, someone really determined. Uh, a mendicant is somebody who is a lowly petitioner, and it really describes this gal. You find her back in Matthew chapter 15. We know her as the Syrophoenician woman, and she's the one who comes to Christ because she has a, a sick daughter, worse than that, a demon-possessed daughter. In Matthew chapter 15, we pick up the story in verse number 21, it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. She said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, this woman's really an amazing woman in the Bible. She's a lowly petitioner, but she's a, a tenacious one. She's a determined one. She is persistent, and, and she perseveres. She, she's actually turned down twice. I mean, the, the disciples, I don't know exactly what they meant by that when they said, send her away. It might mean, you know, just help her out and get her out of here. This is embarrassing. But Jesus said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of Israel. What do you mean by that? Well, he said, I'm here to minister to the Jews first and foremost. Doesn't mean the Gentiles like us wouldn't get it later. They would in, 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 in Acts 10, they're on. But, but he said, I, I'm here to start with God's chosen people. So where does that leave her? Well, she's out of luck. She's Syrophoenician. She's Canaanite. Uh, she's not Jew. And she knows that. 
And, and yet she says, please, Lord. She comes and in verse 25, worships him. Boy, you think that would melt anybody's heart. She's worshiping the Lord. Verse 26, but he answered and said, it is not meat or fit to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Wow. A reference here to a, basically a non-Jew. Now, did that insult her? Did she leave in a huff? No, she said something very profound. Verse 27, she said, Truth, Lord. I, I, I'm okay with that. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She's saying, Look, the Jews are rejecting you. I'll take the crumbs. Well, that did it. Verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, <laughs> great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, there are songs we sing like, uh, In Jesus' name, we press on. I like that song. Or I like that, uh, that song Abigail Miller wrote, Never let go of the Lord. Never let go of the Lord. Don't quit, no matter what. In John fifteen nine, Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Notice this word, Continue ye in my love. Continue ye in my love. Am I tenacious? Are you tenacious? Are we determined? You know, it's, it's sad when, when the world has more determination than a child of God. Many years ago, Walt Disney tried to, to get a, a job for the Kansas City, I think it was the Kansas City Star. It was a, a newspaper in Kansas City as a cartoonist. And they told him, you have no imagination. You're not creative. Uh, you're, you'll never mount to anything. Can you imagine that? He never gave up. And look what happened. Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord. He didn't give up either. Many years ago, as President Calvin Coolidge said, uh, nothing will take the place of perseverance. He said, talent won't take the place of perseverance. He, he said, intellect never will. He said, there are a lot of bright people out there who don't have it. He said, it's not genius, it's not education. He said, it's perseverance. Nothing can take the place of it. This woman persevered. She was tenacious. She's like that woman in uh, Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells the parable of the unjust judge and the woman who just wouldn't give up and he, she kept petitioning him. Reminds me of this woman right here. Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. Notice the, the, the contingency, the clause. If we faint not, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't faint. Don't give up. Don't quit. Look to the greatest example of all, the one who went into the, the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat drops of blood, but said, not my will but thine be done. And join him at the finish line. The Bible says in Revelation 3.21, To him that overcometh, the Lord says, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. I've thought about this throne. And he talks about sitting with him on that throne if you overcome. I don't know if it's just for a moment, you know, you get your picture taken, then next, you know, that. I've, I've imagined it in my mind. But him that overcometh, the Lord says, I will grant to let him sit with me on my throne. You ever felt so beat up, you, you know, you felt like I'll have to crawl up on there by the time I get to heaven. Well, if you have to crawl up on that throne, crawl up on it, but finish strong. Set a mark. Press toward that mark. Take a lesson from this, this Syrophoenician woman, this, this Canaanite, this Gentile, this pagan woman here. A total nobody. 
but she finished strong. So we have this thoughtful memorial, and we have this tender mother, and we have this tenacious mendicant, and all of them nobodies, all of them ladies, and they did something great for God. I said it's a universal human experience to feel inferior, to feel limited, to feel uh, incompetent and, and, and lacking and worthless. But if God can use these people mentioned in the Scriptures from Bible times, He can certainly use us in the 21st century. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.